Good afternoon, everyone. I want to welcome you to uh, Pastor Rob Culver's. Uh, well, this is our first time doing a podcast, so uh, I'm going to try to keep them short, short, under five minutes, and uh, pray that the podcast will be a blessing to you. Um, you can find our podcast on the website at clovispcg.org. You can also find my blog there at clovispcg.org. So uh, you can find all this from on the website. Make sure you sign up for the podcast and make sure you sign up for also the uh, blogs. And uh, you'll get emails um, letting you know that uh, I have posted either the blog or have posted a podcast, okay? So I'm going to get started, and uh, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about uh, Nehemiah, which I, I have a great deal of, uh, you know, great deal of passion for his book and in the Bible. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about a few things about Nehemiah. pray that this will be a blessing to you. Um, you know, I, I think we can gain some ac- help from uh, this incredible man, uh, had incredible ministry. I find him to be a distinguished man who uh, accomplished a great work for God. In fact, he was one of the last of the prophets, and he was supposed to be a contemporary with Malachi, and perhaps his book was one of the last of the Old Testament books that was written. It's very possible that Nehemiah might have even known Daniel, uh, for he was a young man in the declining years of that very distinguished and godly statesman. So we are sure of one thing at least, and that is Nehemiah was a man of exceptional merit. And although he was brought up with uh, the Persians and in the Persian court among idolaters, yet he had the kind of character and integrity that has stood throughout time. We thank God for that. You should know that I'm a patriotic man. I served my country well, the United States Navy. And so I take notice of patriotic men, patriotic men like Nehemiah, because he was patriotic. Nehemiah began to inquire about his people. You'll find this in his book, and I'm going to try to summarize a little bit. And so as he inquired about the people and about the city, he was the city of God that was very near to his heart, and that was the city of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah had never seen that city. He had no recollections back there in Jerusalem that he knew of. Nehemiah was not a Jewish prince, although it is supposed uh, by scholars, and scholars teach us, that he may have had royal blood in his veins. He was born in captivity, a lot, a lot like you and I, my friend, we were born in captivity too, right? Before we were saved. And so it was one, it was about 100 years after Jerusalem was taken that he appeared on the horizon. And he was in the court of the king. He was a cupbearer to the king and he held a high position in the palace, yet he longed to hear from his native land. When these men told him, of the condition of the city and that the people were in great want and distress and degradation degradation, and that the walls of the city were still down and that the gates had been burned and never restored. His patriotic heart 
began to burn and beat within him. We are all told he fasted and prayed and he wept. And that's what we do when things don't look like they're going the way we should, especially in the church, right? So he prayed for one week, fasted, and uh, it could have been a month, but he kept on praying. He prayed day and night, the Bible tells us, having many duties to perform. Of course, he was not always on his knees, but in his heart, he was ever before the throne of grace. It was not hard for him to understand and obey the principle, pray without ceasing, as we're taught in the New Testament. He began the work in prayer, continued in prayer, and the last recorded words of Nehemiah are a prayer. Now, it was in November or December when those men arrived at the court, and Nehemiah prayed on until March or April before he stood, before he began to speak to the king. And can I say to you, ladies and gentlemen that are listening today, if a blessing doesn't come tonight, then pray harder tomorrow. And if it doesn't come tomorrow, pray harder still. And then if it doesn't come, then you just keep right on praying. And you will not be disappointed. God in heaven will hear your prayers. Trust me when I say this. He will answer them. You can count on God to do this. I'm going to tell you, he's never failed me. He's never going to fail you. Let your faith produce patience. It was St. Augustine that said, God is never in a hurry because he has all eternity to accomplish his work. Four statements that are really impressive concerning what Nehemiah says in our text. And I want to focus on these four statements. And so I'm, you know, I don't, I'm only going to go a few minutes and then we'll continue the podcast, okay? So if you want to hear the rest, you just continue listening or continue signing on, logging on. So this is what he said. Here are the four statements. Nehemiah said, Then I said to them, You see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be a disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God, that it was upon me, and what the king had said to me. Now, we're going to focus on these four statements that Nehemiah said. It's really incredible. So the first thing that I'm excited to tell you about and to talk to you about is the first statement he, he makes. Let us start rebuilding. And so the Bible says they began the work, the good work. Now, I want to talk about us. I, th I think it's important to talk about us. Um, he said, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Ladies and gentlemen, there has to be unity in order to get out of disgrace. We have to come together. When you study this in the Hebrew, you see something much deeper than really what you see on paper. Nehemiah chooses his words carefully. He's focusing on two words, rebuild and disgrace. And when you study these words, you discover that they are in reference to a woman that is barren and can no longer produce life. The wall must be repaired in order for us to start producing life again, ladies and gentlemen. But it will take a miracle for that to happen. And it will take more than just one person to do it. We can't do this alone. We need each other. If the church is going to grow, it's going to prosper. It's going to become 
the mechanism that God desires it to become, then ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have to do this together. One man can't do it alone. Not a preacher. I don't care what kind of personality he has. I don't care how great of a preacher or singer or music ministry he possesses. He is never going to accomplish the extraordinary without extraordinary help. I hope that makes sense to you. Years ago, in fact, I recall this sermon I preached years ago. I preached a sermon years ago. It was titled this, The Power of One. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you today that there is no doubt that one can make a difference in the kingdom. One person can make a difference in the kingdom. Just one person can actually make a huge difference. We have seen that even in our own uh, history of the United States of America, one person like Abraham Lincoln, who believed that all men are created equal, or one, one woman like Rosa Parks, who refused to give up her seat on the bus for his you know, for just a good as reason as that. And well, you know the rest of the history. One person can make a huge difference. But I'm here to tell you today that many can do more. We can do more. When we're talking about us, we can do more. Remember that it is many working together that will win a war. One man alone cannot win a war by himself. But when we're all together, tied together in unity, what a huge difference we can make. They that are with us are more than they that are against us and with them. Now in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 6 through 8, God said this, I will grant peace in the land. You will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. Walls, ladies and gentlemen, are not built or rebuilt by one Churches are not established because of one. Super Bowl championships are not crowned because of one. Can't, you know, when you think about everything that we're doing in life, it's not accomplished by one individual. One is good, but a team effort is even better. More are better. That's what I'm trying to tell you today. There is nothing wrong with one. Sometimes only one will do. But if it's us... If it's us together, if it's unity together, then it's better. Thomas Carmiles, Carlisle, excuse me, Thomas Carlisle said this, 10 men banded together in love and unity can do what 10,000 separately would fail to do. There's a Kenyan proverb that says this, sticks in a bundle are unbreakable. That beautiful lady of God, Helen Keller said this, Alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. Henry Ford said this, coming together is a beginning. Keeping to, excuse me, let me say that again. Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is great success. Hallelujah. So I want you to think about this, these things. 
um, you know, and I'll continue the podcast later. Think about these things of us coming together and we collectively being able to accomplish great things for God. Thank you for listening today. We love you. We say God bless you richly, and we're praying for you daily. God bless. Bye-bye.